there's probably not a session that goes by without me referring to one of my teachers as a resource for how we are at this point. Welcome dreamers to another episode in the Blue Door Playbook, a podcast that explores the underworld of dreams through the therapeutic work and wisdom of archetypal psychotherapist, Timothy Tate. I'm your host, Putter Brown. Episode four, Timothy's teachers and stories from his past. Uh, I was living in Bernekheim, Germany, which is in middle southern Germany. I was the dean of men of a college called Schiller College, and I was just finishing my graduate studies with Boston University in their counseling program. And there was a network of people who were gathering under the term humanistic psychology. Another character in the story is Carl Rogers, who is the father of humanistic psychology. And next, the next year, I had an encounter with him. But now this humanistic psychology organization asked me if I knew a venue that would be appropriate to host this philosopher by the name of Alan Watts. And I don't think I had known of Alan up till that point, but I, I got some of his books and again, it was just like, yep, uh, thank you. Yeah, The Wisdom of Insecurity was a really important book for me. And so I had this Baroque castle at my disposal and it had a grand salon, Kameen Zimmer, a fireplace room with gilded, vaulted ceilings, parquet floor, overstuffed chairs, couches. And so Alan Watts was going to do a workshop, <laughs> seminar, and I got him to the Kameen Zimmer that was filled with expats, the American diplomatic corps had quite a community in Europe at the time. And at that time, and for some years, um, Watts had only been wearing robes, black robes, and he was wearing robes that night. And I forget what the title of the seminar was, something astute, something magical, something big, which didn't interest him at all, actually. And so, he came into this room. I do remember this, as I've described, and all the expectant people there in their finery sitting there to listen to the master. And he drops on all fours <clears throat> and starts barking like a dog and then howling like a wolf. And that was very unnerving and everybody was startled. And then he goes on to say, what's the matter with you people? You are so fucking uptight, speaking like that. He says, make some sounds like an animal. What is your animal? And it went from there. And I don't know where it went from there, but it went from there. And then the next day, 
he needed to get to Frankfurt, Germany. And I offered to take him. That's one of those other moments where it doesn't last that long. You know, I was with Alan Watts for maybe eight hours. Then we uh, got a hotel and went out to eat. And that was probably one of the more sanguine, um, precious moments where he said, let's go eat sushi. And I go, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> he goes, yeah, sushi and sake? I go, sure. <laughs> I was a meat and potato and bratwurst guy, you know. Uh, so, okay, we found this sushi restaurant in Frankfurt in 1972, sat at this, you know, stainless steel glass gleaming counter, and he wrote on the thin holder of those chopsticks in Japanese icons and gave it to me. And I said, okay, what does it say? And he goes, you can attain it. You cannot achieve it. We know that this so-called men's movement, which began with Robert Bly's investigation of a Grimm's fairy tale, Iron John, Eisenhans, in 83, opened up a conversation among men who were paying attention to their own role as men in our society and their role as men with their wives or partners and children that Robert Bly's work with this fairy tale Iron John converted into a phenomena. I mean, I think he was on the cover of Newsweek and Life or whatever back in the day mm -hmm. about the wild man. And so the story goes from there is what is the place of that wild energy within the masculine function? And his book Iron John helps us understand that. Fast forward through – Basically, from 84 to 1990, so those six years, I went to be with Robert Bly in retreat in Minnesota twice, and then with a colleague in Montana, began our men's work uh, up at a ranch called Blacktail Ranch in uh, central Montana to provide this weekend retreat for men. But then in 1990... There was a conference with Robert Bly and James Hillman and Michael Mead in Santa Barbara. And I had just finished reading James Hillman's book, The Dream in the Underworld. And that book rocked me so deeply in the sense that someone other than myself was thinking about dream time through a mythic archetypal lens and the validation that his writing gave to my practice as a psychotherapist was extraordinary. Mm -hmm. So now we're back at 1990 in Santa Barbara. Robert Bly, Michael Mead, and James Hillman are leading this conference. I'm going to make a move to see if I can't connect with James Hillman, have lunch with him or something. 
which we do. And so I asked him a few questions about the dream in the underworld, um, particularly about the term uh, idola, which is the imaginal, it's a Greek word for image, the imaginal world that he as an author and thinker had portrayed so vividly that I asked him, are they real? Are images real? And we laughed and he goes, of course. And not at all. And so the paradox of that got my attention. So the imaginal world, the domain of the underworld, what has been defined for far too long as the unconscious, was our conversation. I'd asked him enough questions that he goes, here's my address, here's my phone number, let's stay in touch. And indeed we did until the day he died in 2012. Like, tell me a little about the approaching him, like making that move. Right. Well, that's where how I've been blessed with my size and with my looks and with my charisma comes in real handy. You know, uh, I just approached him as a big, intense, coming at you man going, can we have lunch? I've got some questions to ask you. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gave me the up and down. <laughs> Said, yeah, because he he's that as well. Mm-hmm. Hillman, just a arrogant, grandiose son of a bitch. And when somebody <laughs> runs at him, you know, directly, he finds that fascinating. And so back in the day, the men's work was pretty confrontive. You know, we all took a vow and testify that we won't do violence. And we were kind of at one of those points of tension in this gathering with a hundred shrinks, basically, who have, of course, no ego or arrogance. They're very mild-mannered, withdrawn men. It's like a pride of lions. And Ricardo wanted uh, to do a kind of totem dance. What is your totem? Show us. And so (laughs) some guys would do this, you know, maybe a a peacock or some guy might do, you know, a wolf. It came to my turn and I did a moose. So I have my arms up like this and I have a pretty big gate at 6'3 and I walked across in front of the leaders like this. (laughs) And instantly Robert Bly got up (laughs) because he was a bear. And he just wanted to mix it up. And so he and I, as a bear and a moose, tangled with each other on the floor in front of all these people. And Hillman and I just had lunch with. So everything was a bit amped up. And Michael Ventura comes up to me afterwards and he goes, who are you and what did you just do? And I go, as we do from men from Montana, I go, 
well, I'm from Montana. <laughs> he goes, oh. Now we're at Hillman's 75th birthday on the campus of the University of California in Santa Barbara. Hundreds of people there, a pantheon of stars from Coleman Barks to Robert Bly to Michael Mead to other luminaries that I'm not remembering are all there. Hillman's on the stage. And as we've mentioned, I was one of the first, if not the first, professional psychotherapist to use his theories in the consulting room and put them into play person to person. And so when I came into, I'll never forget this moment, when I came into this large venue, he was up there, I was just coming in. He saw me, walked off the stage, came down. We came to each other in one of the aisles and just gave each other a big old hug. It was so delicious. You know, I punched him in the chest, you know, come on, you can do this, mm-hmm. you old fart. We, let's go, yeah, that sort of stuff. And we had, then he went and did his thing, and we had dinner several times during that time. But where I'm going here is that Robert Bly, as a fierce intellect and bull of a man or bear of a man, was not being honored in the way that he, in his own shadow ego, needed or wanted. This was about James Hillman. So, being the psychotherapist I am, after that mid-afternoon event, I went up to Robert Bly and I said, you ever been in the Pacific Ocean? And he goes, "Uh uh-uh, I've never been in the ocean. I go, well, let's go. Got some swimming trunks? And he goes, I do. I said, well, go to your room. I'll swing by and pick you up. And we'll go to the ocean and jump in, clear our brains out a little. So I go, okay. And so he got in my car. We went down to this beach, wonderful California afternoon. Robert Bly and his swim trucks, me and mine. I said, can you swim? And he goes, I can swim. I go, okay. But... Let me tell you, when there's a red flag with a black dot on it by the lifeguard tower, that means there's a riptide. You know what a riptide is? I don't give a fuck what a riptide is. I go, okay. And so off he plunges into the riptide. So here you have this bear slash walrus thrashing in the Pacific Ocean. I'm... Diving in, I get a hold of his leg, work my way up and get around his trunk. We're being taken out to sea. I'm trying to go laterally. He's going, leave me alone. I'm in the ocean. I'm swimming. I go, no, fucker, you're drowning. (laughs) And we get him out of the riptide, panting, exhausted. We crash on the beach. And somehow that was enough of an energetic release that – he tamed down for the rest of the time.
as it is with the lineage in any particular area, there comes a point where the student starts to question the master about significant differences of opinion or belief or insight. And I learned about what breached the relationship with Jung for Hillman when Hillman and I were driving in my 1990 Saab Turbo Hatchback. God, I love that car. Hillman and I had just been at the Big Hole Battlefield together. I was taking him from Bozeman, where he'd given a lecture at Montana State University, to the University of Montana in Missoula. So we'd gone down the Big Hole and then the Bitterroot Valley. And he'd always wanted to come to Montana. <laughs> that was his lure. It wasn't because we had a tremendous relationship above all else. It was like, I like Tate and he lives in Montana. Can you get me to Yellowstone National Park? Yes, sir. Um, <laughs> so we're now on whatever road that is, 90-something on western Montana, the Bitterroot Valley. And I'm negotiating. I'm driving fast. He loves to drive fast. And I go, what was the reason that you and Jung split? He goes, over the self. Go over the self? He goes, yeah, I was tired of the monochromatic, monotheological, capital S of the self. I thought it was a hangover from his Christian ideology of a divine being. And I felt that was too reductionistic, too projective of the self, like some static thing that was going to save your ass if you were somehow able to embody it, that there was process of individuation to the glorious self was a bit too simplistic. And he could have none of that and split then on the idea that developed into, over time, the notion of the soul's code where he then expanded the perspective of what motivates us at the deepest level away from some worship of the capital self to tangling with the spectrum of characters within our psyche that are brought to our attention through our dreams. So... His idea of character replaced Jung's idea of self. I had been exposed to Carl Jung in 1976 for the first time with his autobiography. And so the seeds had been planted. You shared with me one time this idea, possibility, that a dreamtime encounter with Jung may have put that on you or enlightened you a bit or somehow in formed me. Informed you mm -hmm. in the other world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So share that with me. Mm -hmm. What was the encounter like? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it was 
luxurious in its detail of his residence on the banks of the Zurcher See in Switzerland in the small town of Kusnacht. I've not been to the grounds in person. I've driven by it in the 70s, but I've not been there. From photos and from my own imagination and from, even more importantly, the dream, which I can dial up right now with my eyes closed and see. I don't know how I got into the house. I don't know how I got upstairs to his study. But what I remember is in the dreams, my knocking on the door of his study, which was the archetypal study with the bookshelves, the tall windows overlooking the lake, the large desk with Papa Jung sitting behind it with his wire rim glasses. And upon hearing the knock, bitte come herein, you know, come on in. And so uh, I did. And he rose from behind his desk, and I won't go into the German thing, but greeted me auf Deutsch. Herzlich willkommen, Herr Tata. Bitte hineinsetzen. And so, you know, come on in, Mr. Tate, sit down. And then uh, the next thing he said in both dreams, I had two of these encounters exactly like this. And both times he then would say, now, don't you worry. You're not going to remember any of this in your waking life, but we're going to have a conversation tonight and I'd like to share with you some things. And that's all I remember. And there was, in my imagination, some transfer of information between the master and the student in the master's inner sanctum that has unwound in me over the decades in either insight or methodologies or confirmation, validation, and support that has stayed with me in a way that gives me courage in difficult times. Okay. Okay. That's what I got. That's amazing. That was good, yeah. yeah. We've reached the end of another session in the Blue Door Playbook, a podcast for the soul featuring archetypal psychotherapist Timothy Tate. Thanks for listening. I'm Putter Brown. Stay tuned for more amazing content in future podcasts of the Blue Door Playbook. The content in this podcast is strictly for informational and entertainment purposes only. If you are experiencing mental health symptoms, please contact a mental health provider in your community.